I love people that are like, oh man, I wish I got to travel. I'm like, yeah, me too. They act like when I go to Chicago, like I'm catching a Cubs game and like an architectural tour. I'm staying at a Hampton Inn that literally could be anywhere in the country. Going to an office building that could literally be anywhere in the country and flying in and out of an airport that you don't want to be in. It sounds awesome, doesn't it? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to episode 88, double eight of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. How are you today? I'm good. I am good. A lot of great things going on. I know this week, as we record, ShishMed is going on, so lots of folks we know out that way. Uh, we've, we've already seen a few tweets, shout outs and things like that. I'm sure everybody's having a great time, and this kind of starts fall conference season. I it sure does. We're going to be out next week. We're going to be recording from that conference. So next week will be a live show from the Atlas Conference. So stay tuned for that. And then a couple more in November. I mean, here we go. And before you know it, it's going to be the holidays. Yeah, absolutely. At each of these, obviously, you have the vendor and expo floor and and where you can find some really cool resources, supplements to your team, which we'll talk more about your team in a minute. But one of those is a sponsor of ours, Loyal Health. That's right, Reed. You know, healthcare is complicated. Maybe that's the understatement of the day. But uh, our friends at Loyal understand that. And that is why they are dedicated to helping health systems simplify the complexities through smart, consumer-first technology solutions designed to inspire loyalty. Yep, absolutely. So whatever your business goals are, Loyal's platform enables you to empower, guide, and connect with your data in order to deliver a simply smarter digital patient experience. And if you miss them when you're at Shishmed, you can very easily go over to their website and schedule a personal demo. They'll be more than happy to hop on the phone with you and kind of walk through some of their cool, innovative solutions. Just jump out to loyalhealth.com slash demo and be sure to tell them Touchpoint sent you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, We're going to talk about a really interesting topic today. Before we do, uh, I want to give a plug for touchpoint.health, the website. Be sure to check not only this show out, but all the others on the network. And uh, certainly would welcome your ratings, your reviews, uh, subscriptions, all that kind of good stuff. But you can uh, find out more out at touchpoint.health. So, Reed, I, as you know, have been working in a health system. And we are currently kind of looking at our digital team structure and restructuring. And so it brought to mind the fact that, you know, this is probably happening in many health systems. Maybe you're thinking about restructuring your team. Maybe you're wondering if your team is structured the right way. It's a very typical thing when you're looking at how digital is used at your organization and how we're using digital more and more. Organizations are starting to say, hey, what's the best way to build a digital team? So I thought, why don't you and I talk about that today? So some of you that are longtime listeners may say, hey, I've already heard this one. That's close, but sort of incorrect or kind of incorrect or really incorrect. <laughs> but anyway, way, way back in episode seven, which is actually titled Digital Team Structure, we talked about a number of things, but really it was more geared towards the makeup of your team. 
what they mm-hmm. did, where their expertise lied, where you should be investing, uh, where people had invested historically and needed to start looking. So a lot of that had to do with analytics and you know technology and things like that. That's not as much what we're talking about today. We'll probably you know touch on some of that, but more complementary to that is ultimately how are all those people structured uh, within your organization? That's right. The whole digital team itself, and how do you position them as part of your marketing and communications team or among you know other departments like IT or whatever? I, I think it's really important for us to understand if as we're transforming for digital, as organizations go down that path, it's not just the individuals, but where you can position the teams. I found something from the advisory board that basically analyzed the structures of combined marketing and communication departments. And I thought that was a good, maybe a good start for us to kind of look to see what the current state is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's always a great place to start. So in absence of a Wikipedia entry, <laughs> we'll go to the advisory board. No, I'm just kidding, but um, that's good. Let's jump in and take a look. So first of all, there's a higher emphasis on taking digital and integrating that within your health system. Way back in episode seven, we talked about digital being alone as opposed to integrated. Well, integration is really the key of, of what's going on with marketing communications. It's posing more dilemmas because as you've probably seen, Reed, over the last couple of months or the last year even, health systems are expanding or they're merging or they're partnering. And they acquire different entities. And when they do that, what happens is is they have all these different types of people, including digital people spread all over in multiple different hospitals. And they're trying to figure out the best way to structure those functions. Absolutely. You know, efficiency is going to become the name of the game. I mean, we're not getting more. As a matter of fact, I'm in the middle of doing, you know, kind of a survey of, of hospital marketing folks and trying to understand the staffing uh, so not so much the structure, but the staffing, staffing levels, something more of what we talked about back in episode seven. But a lot of what people are saying uh, around the idea of budget is it's not necessarily, it's not getting bigger year over year, that's for sure. So they're, they're pretty lucky if it's staying level uh, is what we're seeing. Uh, a lot of people are kind of sliding backwards a little bit. So efficiency is going to be a key piece. And the differences or the separations between strategic and operational functions are blending, right? So you can no longer have like people dedicated to strategy and other people related to execution. You kind of have to have build teams, functional teams within your organization that can do both at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've got to have people with, you know, varied skill sets, obviously, but the ability to, you know, deliver across different parts of the organization and those parts of the organizations are, are becoming blurred. Oh yeah. Well, we've talked about that over the You know, almost every episode we talk about how marketing and experience, those are becoming synonymous. But IT, patient access, clinical side, there's so much overlap in in how we're interacting with people and the things that we're doing with them that those lines are blurring significantly. And there's also a heavier emphasis on measurement and analytics. And that's becoming very formal and part of every organization. So everybody has to start measuring the same, whether you're in the IT side or in clinical or even, you know, marketing, it's the same patient data, the same patient record. And you have to develop sort of that consistency across how we're tracking those people. Yeah. What, what, what do we get? What kind of value are we getting for our investment? You know, whether that be in actual people, in projects, brick and mortar, you know, whatever it is, you know, measurement analytics is, is probably historically part of some of those areas, not so much 
in the marketing world, but now that's becoming more and more required. And then digital in and of itself is also expanding. You and I talk about it every week, that there's newer things, there's newer tools, machine learning, AI, chatbots, CRM, marketing automation, virtual reality, augmented reality. I think too, because digital wasn't a thing, then it slowly became a thing, right? So, you know, back in the day, it was predominantly, you know, traditional advertising. That's what marketing did. And if it, if it included communications within the organization, then you had kind of that PR function, community relations function. But from a marketing standpoint, it was basically advertising, print, outdoor, maybe some TV, depending on if you're in a big enough market or not, radio, et cetera. And then along came uh, the internet and, and a website. So then it was like the website. And then it was like, do we need a, do we need a guy that does website stuff? <laughs> you had a webmaster you know, there for a while. And that may have even resided in IT, um, potentially. Well, then social media and then digital advertising. And we've just kind of gone down this track of, to Chris's point, more and more pieces of the puzzle. And even what we would have considered historically as traditional advertising now has a digital component to it, like radio moving into more of like, say, Pandora type space. Not only does your team have to develop really strong skills around whatever their disciplines are, and digital's bleeding all over the place, but now you also have to be able to be good at project management and making sure that you get the stuff done. And you know, some of the things that we've seen obviously is that idea of that the marketing department becomes an internal agency for the organization. I'm not trying to make a ruling if that's good or bad, but I'm assuming we had somebody go to say a hospital from a marketing agency and we're like, this is what we should do. And so they set it up like an agency. And that's not necessarily a bad idea. I'm not saying it's the best idea either. You kind of have to understand your your organization. But you know, that's one thing that we've seen in recent years of like, hey, I'm going to get rid of agency. I'm going to get rid of those outside folks. I'm going to bring that all in-house graphic designers, web, media buyers, et cetera. You know, some other outside trends is like marketers are becoming increasingly more and more digital natives. So they're starting to do more work that's around earned, owned, and paid content. And so as you're going in and you're starting to assess where all your digital needs are as a digital team, you're kind of all over the place. And you want to pull everything together so you get a better understanding and start to drive some consistency. Yeah, again, consistency and being able to be predictable, reliable, you know, be able to kind of be on point with a lot of this stuff. So what does that where does that leave us with digital marketing? I don't know. Where does it leave us? <laughs> digital marketing is kind of the new one to the party, but we're starting to see like we've talked about it take over some of those functions that existed elsewhere in a lot of cases or bleed outside of just you know, it was pretty clean. It was cut and dry that advertising was buying an ad, falls in marketing, it's advertising, et cetera. But digital, especially as we talk about communications, community, online dialogue, things like that, well, where does that fall? You know, does it fall in quality, ITNS, marketing, clinical? And so I think it's important as you're like, like I am leading a digital team within an organization that you develop a distinct function of what digital marketing is and treat it as a distinct function, but don't silo it all over the place, right? You don't want to just create this own little kingdom 
uh, off to your own, you have to be a person that, uh, as you're building your digital team, to look at how do we integrate it in the most effective way across your organization. Well, cool. Well, let's look at maybe um, some of the ways that that can be done or potentially be structured. I found a really interesting white paper by Deloitte called the Digitally Fit Organization. Hmm. Doesn't that sound exciting? I think it's interesting that it does not say digital marketing. Again, we're talking about digital, not digital marketing necessarily. And they start off as Deloitte typically does, talking about the very big picture, which is digital transformation. And, you know, that's a loaded term when you talk about digital transformation. What is that exactly? It isn't just about technology. It's about change management. It's about culture. It's about leadership, et cetera. But they say that um, by 2020, they anticipate more than 7 billion people and businesses will be using digital as an integral part of the way they conduct business. Imperative. Mm. That's a lot, by the way. That really sets up a, a whole new imperative for organizations to create a digital organization. I think it's an interesting kind of exercise to walk through this and determine, you know, as you're putting together a digital team or maybe evaluating your current team, do you fit in one of these? Is that appropriate? Should changes be made? Should you press into one of these more than the other? And in the very least, you can kind of take a take a look back with different eyes and see where you're at compared to what yeah. how Deloitte sees the world, right? So, uh, not that not that we're Deloitte consultants or anything, but you know, this is a great a great example. So, one of the first things they start off with, Reed, is they say that you need to define what digital means for your organization, defining your vision, defining your business goals, defining you know how technology converges and how consumer data, customer data, and analytics works. Really look to see when you call out digital, it's the big D digital, right? The digital with a capital D. What does that mean across your organization, your enterprise, and how important that is to your future, your future state? Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about hospitals or healthcare, but hospitals specifically, boy, that's an awful big piece of the puzzle, right? I mean, everything we have... Uh, has historic everything that we use typically has been plugged in, even down you know pharmacy and different areas like that. Well, then stuff starts getting you know it's becoming connected devices, uh, Internet of Things, you know type thing, right? Yeah, I mean this is a big, big piece of everything that we do and how we operate the business. So for us, for in our health system, consumerism is a big driver for change in our organization. And so we want to take a consumer-first approach to how we're addressing digital. The way we're defining it in our organization is all of the different tools, technologies, devices, whatever it may be, that shape that patient experience. And for us, digital, the focus of digital, the vision of digital is making that experience that much better, that much more enriching. And that cascades over to me in the marketing side of the house. And it also cascades over to the clinical side of the house and IT. Those are typically those silos where digital usually resides, really, right? IT or marketing or, or even clinical. And all of us have now our true north to look at. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. 
This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Then, you know, after defining, obviously, what it means to your organization, you're going to have to, you know, determine what it looks like. So design the operating model to support the execution of the digital strategy. Then you can start putting together, you know, the pieces for execution. And what's cool is they, they Deloitte broke down four typical types of digital organizations. And I think it would be interesting for us to kind of go through each one, read, understand what it looks like. It's kind of hard because they actually show pictures. Uh, so we'll, do, we'll have to do our best to paint a picture with our words, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's go through the models. The first one's called a tactical model. So imagine this one. And, and by, the, this, by the way, this is a very common model that's used, particularly with organizations that have a lot of digital marketing presence, but they don't have a formalized, coherent strategy across their organization where digital has kind of grow, grew up natively within their organization. So imagine that within the different operating units and within IT, you have different pockets of people or talents of people that do digital. And they're all broken into the different operating units and also across IT separately. That's interesting. So yeah, I, w- I would say, well, we'll go through all of them. But um, before we start saying which one we, we think is probably the one we see the most, but that is extremely common. What's cool about that model, Reed, is that if you, if you really want to be fast to market with your digital solutions, if you want to be good at digital marketing and get out there really quickly, this is a re- one of the fastest models that you can get your products to the market because you're natively embedding your digital expertise within your products or service lines. And then those are going out to the market very quickly. They may be different depending on which service line or which business organization you're in, but you're getting to market faster. And and that that is very indicative of organizations that are focused on product. Maybe they're focused on in hospitals. You can think about it as maybe location-based hospitals that have digital people in different locations. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or even like you may have a digital person that's in your cardiac service line as opposed to a digital person that maybe is supporting cancer. Different types of uh, approaches to the market. So what do you think about that model? I don't know how well that works within hospitals per se, because I think then you're relying an awful lot on the knowledge of people across the entire organization being somewhat equal around digital to have the coherent strategy pulled together because it doesn't really have one by nature. It's just part of what you do. That's the hard part when you start thinking about healthcare, because this is not top of mind, I guess, for some. And you have different websites, maybe, that have different experiences. You might even have different ways you're measuring success with your digital advertising. You know, everything's a little bit disparate. I mean, it's, it's probably supporting the businesses pretty well, but when you look at it coherently and you start to think about how organizations and hospitals and health systems are combining together to become a coherent system, that maybe it's not that efficient, which leads us to the next model. Which is a centralized model. So digital would then be consolidated into a central unit 
that kind of impacts or oversees or deploys through the entire organization enables you know more of a of a governance type mechanism of the digital expenses and experiences enables the enterprise organization digital efficiency obviously it's slower because it's a little more bureaucratic you know it's a little more top down uh, everything has to kind of go back through the system but could potentially you know make for a more powerful deliverable you know, even though it may be slower to market. This is where they pull up a centralized digital team that usually reports into the C-suite. And that digital team supports all the different avenues of the business. So you have people there that are IT-focused. You have people there that are marketing-focused. You have people there that are clinical-focused. And they're all within the centralized governance team. Organizations that really embrace digital transformation, this is a great place for innovation to occur. Uh, it's a great place to have incubators, there's a lot of ideas and opportunities that you can have in this level, but it's extremely slow to respond to market changes and trends. What it does is it makes efficiency around how you do your digital, but it almost centralizes it to the point of systemness. If you look at tactical, sure, you're quick to market in, in that case. You probably lose some cohesiveness around brand potentially or some other things like that. And I think we find ourselves falling back into that model some because some people, we try to move into the centralized model. People get tired of waiting and then go do their own thing. So it ends up kind of breaking down to some degree. That's the downside to the centralized model is that if you don't have a good process in place, you don't have a good structure in place that's responsive, uh, make sure people are involved and heard, et cetera, they'll go do their own thing and you'll very quickly find yourself in some sort of a weird mosh between a couple of these models. Well, and that's the next model, Reed, which is called the champion model. So imagine this now. You have digital leaders that are spread across multiple departments or areas of business. Sometimes they have the same job title, director of digital and analytics. And what they do is one of them is focused on marketing, one of them is focused on clinical, one of them is focused on IT, etc. But they're champions, right? And their job is to develop sort of a consortium to align with the other digital leaders in the organization on best practices. They want to establish a continuum. There's usually like an informal governance structure that's involved with that. And honestly, in many cases, that's the organization that I'm kind of working in right now. That tends to really lead to faster decision-making and also, in turn, inspire higher innovation and even shared strengths. And it allows for a more effective way to focus, but also align. I don't know that that's what we're seeing necessarily. I mean, I, I see that in the idea that those champions are elected or empowered in, in some way, shape, or form, I think you still run the risk in a centralized model of having defectors, so to speak, right? Look, no, I'm not going to ask. Mar marketing never responds. It takes too long. We're just going to make this PDF document ourselves and send it out. You know, kind of the proceed till apprehended approach. And so the champion model is an interesting one, though, where you do have some of those leaders. And I'm starting to see some of that even in local or regional healthcare systems where in the marketing department, you've got a marketing person dedicated to HR and internal communications, for example, you know, or something like that. And that's a little bit of what this is. Obviously, yep. the larger your organization is, uh, you know, the more likely that, you know, these champions exist in other towns and other parts of the organization and maybe even other subsidiaries. What's happening in our organization, right, is I align with 
the director of digital and analytics that's dedicated to clinical, as well as the person that's related to operations. And when it comes to larger, maybe digital investments like CRM, we look at that, we consider that as on an enterprise level. But when you get into things like digital ad spend. Yeah, or email marketing or something. That's solely in my domain. And we each have our independent versions of that. Now, we definitely get together and we share best practices. But in this case, that allows us to really focus on that particular type of discipline. In larger organizations, that kind of works more effectively. And I think that depending on the size of your organization, you're going to adopt one model over the other, that's for sure. But uh, there's one other model, Reed, Deloitte brings out. They call it the BAU model, B-A-U. BAU. What do you think BAU stands for? Business as usual, because I'm looking at the white paper here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What's ironic about this title, though, it's not business as usual, right? No. What they're talking about is obviously that, that everyone's just a digital expert. It's just part of their job is embedded in their brain. You know, digital is just, it just comes with the territory. It doesn't matter what your job description is. And so this would be business as usual, meaning that you're just doing your job, right? You're just moving on, doing your job. And digital is such a part of it that that box gets checked or it gets fulfilled. They call it the utopian state. <laughs> I still am not sure that's the utopian state. Maybe for some organizations, I'm not for sure for a hospital, it makes as much sense. It, it can make sense if you're using digital in the right way. I think that's an important piece to, to add to that. If you're using digital in a productive way, and that mean, that's that state where we've talked about, Reed, where there's no longer a digital marketing person. There's just a marketing person. There's no longer, longer a need for digital communications. It's just communications. Because digital is now part of what we do day in and day out. For some organizations, that could be quicker than others. Typically, I see organizations that are much smaller and have, I hate to say it, this is my generational uh, uh, shout out of the of the week here, I guess, on our podcast, but usually younger people tend to be in this role, right? And their roles are clearly defined and the use of digital is more established. I, hospitals and health systems are usually not in this business as usual phase. No. And I think we're a long way from that. that that's going to be really hard. I mean, some people are forced down that stream because if you think about even clinical care with EMR, EHR type deployments, you know, we're getting forced down that path as healthcare workers, but I'm not sure that that it's business as usual at this point. Okay. So looking back, Reed, those are very high level models. You got your tactical model, independent people in different service lines, business units, your centralized model where digital reports up to the C-suite. The champion model where you have digital leaders spread across the organization and then um, the business as usual model, right, where everybody's digital. What are your thoughts on those four models looking looking at them all? Well, I think there's probably some that are preferred because I feel like it can get done more efficiently. And then there's some that are more probably realistic, you know, just because that's just the way it is. I would love for the centralized model, kind of that hub and spoke, if you will, to be the winner, the clear cut winner. It does create certain levels of bottleneck. That's the biggest downside to that one. The champion model may be the better and may be the ultimate winner, no pun intended, because I think you have the ability to have some oversight and leadership, and you've got people that are good at it and want to run with it you know, throughout the organization. But I'm going to tell you, the champion model, having living in it myself, it really takes all of the digital leaders 
you know, it really, ta- it really forces them to work together. And if they're not working together, if one is off doing their own thing and, and kind of loses touch, it could potentially lead back to that first model, which is where you have the tactical model, right? Where they're going off and doing their own thing and they're not connecting with the rest of the organization. It's a little bit of a challenge. It adds an extra level of responsibility. It can be difficult if the mindset's not there. And depending on where you're at in the change spectrum, maybe the tactical model is right for organizations that are just starting down the path before they define a digital strategy. And then maybe centralize is good if you have a smaller organization that where you can, you can have everything kind of report up and it's and it won't present such a bottleneck. Maybe there are some questions we can ask ourselves as you're starting to evaluate these models that could kind of help you pinpoint on which one feels right to you. Let's maybe run, run through a few uh, that we've got outlined here and um, see what might resonate. The first one is, how should your team or organization be structured? And what I mean by that is looking at your current state of your organization, looking at the current talent you have, how should it be structured right now? How should it be structured in one year? How should it be structured in five years? If you're starting to centralize, is it time to pull everybody together and centralize your digital team? Do you have anybody to actually pull together? Don't just go make some like chart of like, here's all the people I'd like to have and here's how I'd structure it. Well, that's fine too, maybe. But you know, you need to also take account of what's there. And, and could they be structured? So if you're talking about people that exist in other departments that you don't have any oversight of, well, okay, that's part of this. They're not going to take too well for them suddenly to be matrixed into you. Especially if you don't have that, that ability to do that. Exactly. <laughs> hey, guys, good news. I've restructured the whole organization over the weekend. I want to pass out new name badges. And you all report to me. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing is like, where should your area of focus be? And that's really set in your strategic business goals. And it's important to ask that. Do you think that's maybe the most intuitive question? But it's always important to say like, where should we be focusing? Do we even understand what we're trying to do, our customers, our product enough to accomplish that? That's a big one. It's like, where is our data? Where is the information that we can get about our customers? Are we able to track that enough to you know, go after one of these models. Um, Another one is how could you be really good at what you do for digital without spreading yourself way too thin by integrating into the team? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even look at other areas uh, that other people have oversight of. So typically if you look at like the Baldrige quality award, for example, that's going to reside in the, in the quality department or maybe operational department uh, COO related or something like that of the organization. Maybe even the CEO has some sort of involvement in it. There's several digital components to that now, right? So it's like you're not having to own the entire Baldrige process, but you can come and integrate yourself into this particular project that will then help in integration around the organization as a whole at some point. Well, I presented once with a, another digital marketer and she says she's become really good at just going to other people's meetings. That's how she found ways to integrate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll see that a lot with like HR's initiative to you know have a better turnout for employee forums or the annual you know employee survey or something like that, you know, health fairs, et cetera. Well, you can you can come alongside those other departments in these big initiatives that they have. You don't have to own the whole thing. Maybe just be the digital expert. Yep. You also have to assess like where are your current gaps. I mean, now you know where you want to go. What are the critical things that you may not be doing today 
that you need to close those gaps. Is it a short-term or a long-term need? And the interview that we're going to hear in a little bit goes into how you can start to recruit and hire those types of people. And we'll be talking with Christopher McKinley about that. So stay tuned for that interview. But closing gaps is an important part of that. It may be a sheer numbers game. You may just not have enough people to accomplish everything in a day. But understanding what those gaps are, is it a talent-based gap? Is it just a manpower piece mm-hmm. you know what what is it you know we have too much money going out to agencies and could we maybe better invest that internally I, you know anyway anyway there's just some different gaps in understanding what type of gap and then lastly if there are going to be upcoming changes within your organization be it your digital organization your marketing organization whatever it might be how will those changes impact the rest of the other departments that are involved Like if you're going to centralize social media, what does that mean for communications? What does that mean for reputation management? What does that mean for service recovery? Those are the things you kind of have to look at with a critical eye. And sometimes you may be able to centralize some of digital, but not all of digital. A way to kind of bring this to an actionable point for those listening. I mean, if you... If you go back and assess where you are, understand the gaps that you may have, understand the model that you may currently be in, and work with leadership and other department heads and things like that to understand where you and where digital can integrate themselves within the organization are, are all great places to uh, to start and, and grow in this space. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! All right, Reed, the 88th time that we're going to face off in a uh, touch point, touch counterpoint. And today, I was thinking that we could maybe talk about digital teams and, and digital as a concept within an organization. Should that be led or owned by IT or should it be owned by marketing? What are your thoughts? Well, if we're talking about digital, like the capital D, like we've talked about, not digital marketing, but just digital, then I think it's got to be IT. They're the cog in the wheel that, that own the communication and the technology that integrates uh, consumers to the system, clinical side of the house to the system, and even in some cases, the oversight of some of the marketing applications. So, I mean, it's got, it's got to be IT. It just makes makes the most sense. Yeah. Well, I get the fact that they own EMRs and, you know, a big bulk of the digital spend. Maybe we are not talking about 
digital with a capital D. We're talking about digital with a lowercase d here because I think that there are certain skill sets that, no offense to our IT counterparts, that they are just not well adept at being being good at SEO or ad buys or even doing social media campaigns, all of which are digital by nature. So I think that you know maybe I'm arguing in part for uh, a champion model or even a tactical model here, but I think that digital should be shared and owned by multiple departments and marketing has an equal place at the table as our IT counterparts do. No, they don't have to be good at SEO. Nobody's asking to be good at SEO, but they're still the primary conduit for all things digital. They can see the big picture from a digital perspective, whereas those in marketing or those in just the clinical space, et cetera, don't have a preview to maybe the full picture. And so if somebody needs to oversee the whole thing, especially from a C-suite standpoint, it's got to be the CIO. I don't know. Now I'm starting to feel like I'm arguing for the fact that marketing should equate to the patient experience. But what I am thinking here is that we as marketers understand that overall patient experience much better and the the patient and the customer much better. And so therefore we can own that because we actually understand their needs and can articulate what the requirements are and how we can build digital solutions. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that IT is not part of the solution, building the solution. They have to be. They have to make sure everything works together. But we actually can drive the strategy, I think, very effectively if we become those experience experts. Sure. Yeah. I mean, again, the experience piece, I mean, I get that. But I still think it's all got to roll up to somebody that just owns the technology owns the digital piece. And so, yeah, there's subject matter experts underneath that. I think it's still got to roll up to somewhere. It's got to be IT. So from a budgetary perspective, you're saying it's got to be one cost center and IT is the cost center? Yeah, they own the six-digit code or whatever it is for the department. <laughs> okay, you're right to a certain extent. They own the the foundational elements of the digital platform just as much as when you're building a house the plumber is really important to make sure that all the plumbing runs through the house well. The electrician makes sure that you run the electricity all the way through the house well. But that doesn't mean that they actually get to design the experience. And I actually would advocate for the fact that marketing and subsequently experience owns that relationship and, and can really make sure that if I'm extending the metaphor and beating it to death, they can make sure that the drywall is painted pretty that the curtains are being hung, and that when people come to your house, they're going to enjoy being at your house. It's all about the curtains. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of our podcast. And today I am talking with someone that I have known, gosh, Christopher, how long have I known you? Almost 10 years now. Sounds right. Christopher McKinley, I got to know you when I was working at Anova Health System in D.C. A lot of people that are listening in don't know about your background. Maybe you could share with them a little bit about your experience and what you're doing. Yeah, thanks, Chris, for having me on. I really appreciate it. For several years, I've been placing highly specialized marketing candidates, generally with enterprise organizations, sort of with the business world that's going digital, analytical, marketing communications candidates. Uh, my style is very high touch on both the, the client side and the candidate side, attempting to be and in, in the, the subject matter expert on the organizational culture of a client, their processes, financials, their goals, and then very high touch on the candidate side, 
uh, as well. 60 to 90 minute interviews where I sit with the candidate and really get to know them as a person. And as we say, a, a good resume is about 10% of really finding that perfect candidate, but it's more about how that person fits long-term in your culture. And that goes into not just their background, but but who they are as a person. And then that goes down to not just IQ, but EQ as well. And And in January, just with my wife, uh, launched our own firm, uh, and that is the CHM Hire. That's the name of my firm. And and in our world, it becomes fluid. A client becomes a candidate. A candidate becomes a client, depending on where they are in their life. So, So that's a little bit about me. You and I got to know each other because you helped me uh, find a candidate way back when, 10 years ago, like like we were talking about, um, to focus in on a particular digital need that we had. Just of the podcast that we've been talking about today has been around identifying the right kind of digital talent and some of the challenges there are when you're building a digital team within a health system. So I want to talk a little bit about that with you. Digital and digital in particular in hospitals and health systems is a, it, it takes a unique type of person. Oftentimes when you're starting to build out a digital team, you know, you're trying to fit someone to, to work with all the different technologies or tools. But that's not the way that you really want to look at augmenting your staff, is it? Yeah, yeah, I don't believe so. And then, and it's it's human nature to think we're using a lead gen system, we're using Marketo. So let's go find a Marketo person and to start from that way. But it's more important to think about, you know, who's the best long term fit, and and how are we going to find that best long term fit, and and who are we as an organization? What is our culture like? Who is what is the type of person that succeeds here? So it's best to take more of a holistic approach because I I feel like. Uh, you know, if you go for just that one skill set, that person's going to come in and, and perhaps they can, you know, execute, but, but you want to find someone that can really grow within an organization and meshes well with the team. Now, in this day and age, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about augmenting your staff. I mean, you can go for a direct hire, you can go for a contractor, you can even hire like a, an agency that could do that work, and they'll find the right talent. What we often tell people to do is, you know, I think sometimes companies think, well, we hire from within, or we use an agency as we do. And we often recommend going hand in hand using a combination of both. You know, we always think there should be a career track laid out for those employees based on their performance to grow within an organization, uh, but also long-term relationships develop sort of hand-in-hand with, with two to three really strong staffing agencies to fulfill areas of need. How can we find the best type of resource that's going to go in and whether it's as a contractor that's there in a long-term project or whether it's a direct hire candidate that can be there, you know, five, 10 plus years, uh, try to find that best resource that also has the same skill set. You know, contract to hire is a major growth area as well. You're able to bring in a consultant for immediate need and at relatively low risk where you're not locked into a long-term engagement. And it's kind of try before you buy for both parties to see if it's the best long-term fit for the organization. Right now, it's just a, and this is something also too that we're, you know, a lot of companies are learning it's an extremely tight labor market just in general. I mean, I think the uh, the unemployment rate for undergrads is, is, is 2%. Uh, wow. You can imagine that's even smaller when we're talking about these these really in-demand skill sets of, of digital strategy, marketing automation, web analytics. And I can't underscore the understanding the culture of the organization so well. I've had a couple of uh, contracted work, uh, workers that come to my digital team, and they're used to more of the fast-paced venture capitalist kind of, uh, you know, smaller startup kind of companies. And working within a hospital system that's like more of, I, equ- I equate it to maybe like working on a, going from a running a small little boat to jumping onto an aircraft carrier. It's a different <laughs> type of skill set, right? Uh, yes, sometimes. Exactly. How do you stay competitive? And particularly as a hospital, 
how do you how do you find some of that good talent when you're competing with all of these other people that do technology too? Yeah, the, the, the blunt realization we come into, and our, even our clients say this that have been in the, the healthcare field, is oftentimes when you're talking about junior to mid-level talent, they're just not thinking of hospitals first. It's not that they have a negative impression of working for a hospital. It's just a mindset of more, I've got to go you know, get together with, I've got to connect with an IT startup in San Francisco. I've got to, you know, I want to develop a, with an agency and have, have brand name clients. And, and so you really have to get out there and tell your story and, and what sets you as a hospital or healthcare organization, what sets you apart from the competition? You know, what are your success stories? I mean, I will say this generation that then tends to be more digitally inclined, kind of that junior to mid-level talent that I'm referring to, or even more at the senior level. Yes, compensation is important, but they really have a mindset of they want to feel empowered. They want to think about, you know, hear words. I hear it all the time because I interview these candidates on a daily basis you know, I want to be the right organization. I want my voice to be heard. I want, you know, be the organization that's diverse, uh, an organization that has altruistic, you know, sh- you know initiatives, um, you know, in every department. So it's really different before because there, there's still kind of that question you get kind of from the, the, uh, the client, the hiring manager. Well, you know, what is their comp? How much do they make? You know, what do they make before? And yes, of course, that's important, but it, it's a new mindset with these, these candidates. And, and you have to be able to adjust your hiring to that mindset. You know, I'm going to take a little aside here because I have read some of these studies around what millennials are looking for in a workplace. And in my mind, I'm like checking the box too. I want all of those things too. Is it really generational? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fair point you said, Chris. I think we all probably feel that way. What, what this, and I don't necessarily mean that's a negative way, with millennials, they have the confidence to voice it. They will tell you. And they will say, I'm not leaving, you know, because generally I should say the important point too, these are passive candidates. These are candidates that have jobs already generally, or they have consulting gigs on the side. So it's almost more the playing field becomes a little more level between hiring manager and candidate. They will definitely voice that, you know, this is what I need. These are kind of must haves and, or I just won't leave without these, without the, you know, without the right for the right organization i hear i wish i had a patent on the on the phrase you know i'm open to the right opportunity i don't need a job by monday i'm open to the right opportunity so they're they're almost acting for like they're a client almost and 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 seeing the right opportunity and the right candidate you should almost want this a candidate will come in and interview the hiring manager uh and just as much hiring manager interview the candidate and sometimes hiring managers that are maybe a bit more old school are could be uncomfortable with that, but that's actually what, I, what we find actually when candidates take it that seriously, it means that you're going to get a great employee if it moves forward. Good on them for voicing what they want. I guess I'm in the wrong generation. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer and we, we haven't told anybody what we wanted. We we're just hoping to find it or carve it out ourselves. And these are very, very skilled people, right? Extremely I mean, skilled. With the candidates that you see, are many of the tech, the digital inclined people, some of the more mid-level, you know, mid-experience kind of people, what other ways can you appeal to them to kind of maybe think about other working in a hospital, say? What, what we get a lot of is, you're talking more about the mid-level person, Chris, is the person who they've done the IT startup, they've been to San Francisco or perhaps New York, or even sometimes even D.C., and what, what I hear a lot of is, I want to have a life. Not that these folks don't work hard. They work very hard. they got a great career track, and they can present it really well. But they feel like, I don't want my, my, my job to consume my life. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's personal. They've had a family, a spouse, and kids, and so forth. And sometimes, it's just, I've just got a little bit older. I don't want to spend my life on a plane. And I just want to do good work. So it's not always that discouraging for some of these more traditional uh, organizations like a hospital seeing digital candidates. It's just more catching the candidates at the right time because there's definitely those candidates out there that say, 
you know, I had one candidate tell me too, and, uh, you know, they, they found themselves, you know, Tuesday night, they're, you know, mid thirties, Tuesday night at, at a bar with all the, their boss and their employees. And, and it was just expected to go out and, and, you know, they just had a huge win and celebrate. And uh, this person told me, oh, Christopher, all I could think about was just going home to my family and my friends. That's all I want to do and, and not, not be consumed by this culture. So let's talk about like staff augmentation versus like hiring internally versus contracting. Can you share some like best practices, some things that we should be thinking about as we're trying to determine the right way to go? Yeah, I, I would say at the outset, decide internally, have a specific process for hiring a candidate. I, it's just very challenging to get that really strong digital candidate um, in your organization. The really strong candidates have a full dance card. And so decide at the outset, here's our process. Here's what we're going to do first. It's going to be a phone interview first. It's going to be these three people the candidate we're meeting with, and then we'll make a decision. Um, that's sort of, uh, you know, easier said than done. As I mentioned, my history, Chris has worked with enterprise organizations. So huge, you know, often, you know, fortune 1000 organizations and often what can happen is, you know, an initial interview goes exceptional with either a recruiter and they think, oh, this candidate's great. And then as the process gets sort of stretched out, if you will, you know, more hands get in the cookie jar and things start to slow down. It, it's perfectly understandable because, you know, the organization has the best of intentions. They want to make sure that everybody's voice is heard on their end and they, they make the right hire. But I would say number one thing is, is to make sure you have a clear hiring process about how this is going to go for the right candidate. And number two, what story are you going to tell to that candidate? Tying back to those, those things we discussed about, you know, what is your story? How is that candidate going to be empowered? You know, what kind of culture are you an organization? What kind of work-life balance? What kind of benefits do you have? You know, what sets you apart? So doing that at the beginning, I think, is so important and kind of midway through. Because by that time, the candidate's already either their interest is wavering or, you know, they, they found another opportunity. Do you have any tips on, like, during the interview process, like, ways that you can present your, your – there's that common question, like, well, what's it like working here? Or how do you – you know, I, I hear that a lot from candidates that are coming in and they're trying to size us up. Any tips that you can give to hiring uh, managers about that? Have a set story that everybody can tell that's on the same page. It doesn't mean it have to be uniform or all individual personalities, but have your two or three people that will be interviewing this candidate be on the same page about what kind of story you're telling. Sometimes candidates come back to me and say, I'm a little bit confused because this client, this, this hiring manager said that the job's more like this, and this other hiring manager said, Oh, no, it's this is a 24-7 job, and if you, that's not for you, then we're not for you, and it, you know, more of a blunt approach. And so make sure the messages are, are very on the same page. And then try to get outside of the, the typical interview questions and just get to know them as people. But it really is important to these types of candidates to feel like they're enabled, empowered. Number one thing, too, is to be listened to. I mean, I hear that post-interview a lot when a candidate has a really good interview. It's like, it's sometimes it's it's almost intangible, but a candidate comes back to me post interview because we'll always download a course and it'll be like it's more of a conversation. We kind of talked about the the fun things about in digital strategy for hospitals. Talked about some of the challenges. You know, it's almost more like you're on the same side of the table. And that's when the candidate comes back to me and says, "Well, I'm really excited about being there." You know, towards the end, compensation comes up, but it but it's not in the order generally the hiring manager thinks it's going to. Well, I'm reflecting myself into the own you know my own job experiences and interviews that resonated with me for sure, definitely. When you look forward, Christopher, at like kind of the, the hiring market, and you're thinking about like the future state of where we're going to be, are we doomed to have you know uh, a gig economy for here on out, or is it going to? Do you think that the the market shift is going to change? Yeah, it's a it's a good point because the gig economy is often thought of as 
this is very challenging for the worker because or the candidate because the candidate doesn't have stability. But oftentimes it's not. I see it a lot. The candidate's kind of dictating it. Hey, I, I want to go in and I want to be a consultant. I want to go try this company out for myself. So it's been almost a cultural change or a mindset change amongst this generation. You know, they have a client on the side already. They're doing remote and they want to you know try out a, a you know a new organization on a on a project role. And oftentimes, as I mentioned, that can lead to full time employment. But it's almost like the candidate's trying out the client. So. I, I, you know, I feel like that gig economy, you know, whereas you would ask me that five years ago, I'd have said no, or eventually going to get back to everybody's going to want to be permanent. But um, now I feel like it's a bit of a mindset where we're a change where some of the, you know, the millennial digital candidates kind of say, I'm my own boss, and, and I'm going to sort of, you know, dictate how I want to lead my life. And maybe that's a little less money, maybe that's, you know, maybe it's very busy for three months, maybe not busy at all. But at the end of the day, there's for the majority of candidates still want to be a permanent employee for the right culture, but it's how they approach it. This is very different than it used to be. Um, okay. Where do you fall on this side of the, uh, the argument? Are you for an open office environment or do you, do you believe that people want more of a closed office environment? I, I think it's a little bit generational again. And I think it's as we, there's a good more, and I hate to keep saying the same thing, but, but as, as we get more, those millennial employees and more junior to middle level are very comfortable in that world. And the folks that are succeeding at the senior level are adapting to it as well. I feel like with anything you can adjust, adapt, and I feel like we're going more towards that open environment. And, you know, we still have a lot of remote people. I mean, we place digital people remote, you know, all the time, but, but even with those remote people, they, They'll tell me, hey, Christopher, the, the company's going to have a, a conference or going to have an event you know, on, on site. I can't wait to meet everybody in person, so-and-so. So even the folks that are remote still want to get that FaceTime. I really thought that you were going to say the answer, though, is they don't want either open or closed office environment. They want a coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's actually, I'm, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to steal that, steal that answer for the next question. That's, that's actually way better than my answer. We've covered a lot, of, a lot of ground here. But, you know, again, turning back to the topic at hand, as you're within a hospital or health system and you're starting to build out your digital team, there's a lot of different ways that you go. Is there something that we haven't covered, we haven't talked about yet that you might want to share? I think sometimes hiring managers think of it as, as black and white. We, you know, we haven't gotten the number of applicants for our digital strategy need that we advertise for. They must not want to work at hospital. It's, it's just not, it's not that it's not, it's just not what comes to mind. That's what ties a little bit back to, you know, what's your marketing like? What's your social media presence like? What's your web presence like just to get out there and, t- and tell that story? Because I, I think you really can connect with where the, the mindset is a really strong digital talent. It's just that they're not aware of it right now. But even the folks that, you know, Chris, you and I have worked together, that we placed in the past with you and your colleagues, you know, once they got immersed in the organization, once they, it was more about the people um, who they connected with and what the kind of the work they were doing. Spoken firsthand, like I said, I, you helped me find one of my candidates and I'm still friends with her. And I know that she's, uh, she's been very successful and she's been all across the country. And that to me shows that finding good talent, it can sometimes build into like a, a lifelong collegial relationship that you have with that person. So Exactly. I spoke with that person actually last month. The first thing she did, she asked was, you know, have you kept in touch with Chris Boyer? So that, that was supposed to be a short-term project. So you just never know where these things go for the right client and candidate. Christopher, this has been really, really good conversation. I really appreciate it. For people listening in that want to learn a little bit more about you and your company, where can they find you online? Yeah, we're on our website is chmhire, all one word, chmhire.com. We, you know, we, we speak to hiring managers all the time. We also consult as far as if you're just starting 
to, to think about what kind of digital talent you want to bring or marketing talent. It doesn't have to be something where, you know, the need is Monday, but we love just to have that conversation, listen and learn, we call it. And also people that are looking for the right opportunity as well. That's how we grow. That's how we learn about the market is to speak to really strong candidates too. And so um, I would encourage any and all that are listening to please reach out. That's awesome. We'll put links in the show notes so people can actually get out there quickly. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really helpful. I appreciate your ideas. Oh, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate the the forum and the time. All right, episode 88 coming to an end. Thank you for listening. Uh, Again, touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast. Uh, And be sure to connect with us online, LinkedIn, Twitter, all that kind of good stuff. You're pretty good at tracking us down, and we appreciate the feedback. Uh, Before we get to recommendations, just wanted to give a couple of plugs. As you hear this, we are just a few days out from the Atlas Conference. So if you're already coming, we'd love to hear from you. It's going to be up in Boston the 15th to the 2nd, 17th of October. Love to connect with anybody that listens to the show. After that will be the Healthcare Internet Conference out in Scottsdale, Arizona. What is that? November the 5th through the 7th? 5th through the 7th in Scottsdale. That's one of our favorite conferences to go to. And we're going to see a lot of good friends uh, out there. And we we hope that you look us up. And I will be doing a pre-conference workshop. And Reed and I will be there. We'll be recording a podcast while we're there. So if you can't make it to that, don't worry. We're going to kind of report out on what's happening. And then the very next week, Reed, where are we going to be? We are going all the way uh, to the right, to the east side of the country, um, (laughs) to Jacksonville, Florida, to the uh, annual Mayo Clinic Social Media Network Conference. That that following week, the 14th and 15th, I believe there's a pre-conference workshop on the 13th. You can can check that out, learn a little bit more about that, socialmedia.mayoclinic.org. All right, uh, recommendations. So, Reed, you know that I've been kind of building out my backyard. Yes, Yep, saw some pictures. Very nice. Looks very nice. Got our backyard kind of built. We got a nice patio, a deck, some chairs out there, etc. It's all great. But, you know, what you need for a nice backyard setting like that, particularly in the colder, cooler fall nights, uh, when you want to sit out there at night and just kind of enjoy with company, etc. What do you think you need? Fire pit. Exactly. Now, Reed, mm-hmm. you know that I can't just get any fire pit. I got myself a Bluetooth-enabled fire pit. <laughs> it is the BioLite fire pit. Was the is the fire like charge your phone or something? Check this out. First of all, it's a smokeless fire pit in that it has fifty-one air jets that injects the fire with oxygen along key locations to create a more uniform temperature of gases to ensure maximum combustibility and reducing smoke. So you don't have to worry about smoke. Okay. In order to do that, it has a, a it has fans, but it has a battery pack, a power pack, and that power pack has a twenty four hour runtime. It's charged by USB. You just pull it out, plug it in, and then you can s- snap it onto the outside of this thing. By the way, that power pack also has a USB external connection, so in case you want to charge your phone while you're at the fire pit, mm-hmm. no problem. Mm-hmm. But it's also Bluetooth connected to an app that allows you to ratchet up the air jets or or ratchet them down to ensure maximum combustibility and that your fire is burning hot and beautiful. And the reason why I say beautiful is because it has 360-degree wireless mesh around it. So it looks like your fire is floating in the air, particularly 
particularly in a, in a dark night. So you could see the fire from all angles. Not only that, it's about the size of a small cooler. So you can wrap it up in a bag, carrying a handy carrying bag. And if you go camping, you can bring it along with you. They can burn up to four standard firewood logs at a time, or you can lift up the grate, put in charcoal. And by the way, it's got this handy dandy little grill on top. So you can grill some shish kebab or even make s'mores if you wanted to over your fire pit. Can people normally not see the fire from where they're sitting? Or like, <laughs> It's a cool factor. The BioLite Fire Pit. And I picked mine up at REI, but it's also available on Amazon. It's a Bluetooth fire pit. What more can I say? There you go. Everybody needs one, especially this time of year. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction. I'm going to go with a book. Now, this book is not terribly new. Honestly, I don't know when. I probably should have looked this up real fast uh, of when this was published, but I think it's still timely. It's a cool read and just something a little bit different. Copyright 2000. Gosh, he's almost 20 years old. It's called Marketing Your Dreams, Business and Life Lessons from Bill Veck, Baseball's Marketing Genius. It's by Pat Williams, who is the Senior Vice President of the Orlando Magic. And he's worked in baseball and uh, worked for the Philadelphia 76ers and then was part of the group that, that started the Orlando Magic way back when. Pat Williams has written, I don't know, like a jillion books at this point. But um, he wrote this book some years ago. My wife got it for me. And it's really cool. Bill Veck is the guy that actually created the in-game promotion. So all the goofy Hmm. stuff that happens like at minor league baseball games and all that stuff. He's kind of the guy, right? Like the guy that blows himself up with dynamite at second base and all that. He's the guy that came up with doing that. He's got a bunch of really cool stories in there. Like chapter 13, 50,000 bolts and a bunch of nuts. That's what the name (laughs) is. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a neat book. It's a cool book. And for anybody that works in marketing or sales or anything like that, there's uh, some cool stuff in there. So anyway, marketing your dreams, business and life lessons from Bill Veck, baseball's marketing genius. Awesome. I've always thought that healthcare marketing can benefit from sports marketing. I'm going to have to check that book out. Like mascot races down the units and stuff like that. <laughs> People racing on tricycles around three east, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe deliver medicine via like the t shirt cannon, you know, or something. Oh boy. (laughs) Okay. I we may have gone a little bit too far. All right. (laughs) Yeah, give me a minute, I'll come up with some more. No, so uh, again, touchpoint.health is the website. Uh, hope we see you in person at one of the conferences. If not, we'd love to connect with you online. Please reach out, Twitter, LinkedIn especially. And then uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. We would certainly appreciate the support. Uh, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.